Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message. Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse one. Today, we are beginning a brand new series called Spirit and Truth. We're starting 2023 with a series about worship. And what does it mean to worship? Genesis 22, I'm gonna read 14 verses. That's not an apology, it's just a warning. Uh, I don't think you can read too much of the Bible in church. Genesis 22, one. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And then he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Then he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke. And he said, my father, here am I. Look at the wood, the fire, but where is the lamb himself? God will provide the lamb himself for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And when they came to the place that God had told them, Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad. Don't do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. And since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, then Abraham lifted his eyes and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called that place, the name, the Lord will provide. As it is to this day, in the mountain of the Lord, he shall provide. Pray with me now one more time. Father, we love you. We adore you. We thank you for your word. We believe that it is holy. It is sacred. It is God inspired. And today I ask that you'd be strong in my weakness. I pray you'd speak to every person in this room, touch every heart and every life. May you be glorified greatly today. And may every one of us leave this place more like Jesus than how we came. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 
I want to give you a little bit more context into the story of Genesis 22 in case you're unfamiliar. Abraham was a very wealthy man. He and his wife, Sarah, had been very successful materially in the world. They had a countless number of livestock and possessions. But in their old age, they began to grow weary and discouraged because they had no son, no heir that would continue the legacy, keep the father's name and businesses alive. And so in despair, they cry out to God and they pray, for God to give them a son. God then answers their prayer and miraculously in their ripe old age, well into their 90s, scripture says that God miraculously gave Sarah a son and they called him Isaac. And the Lord promised that through Abraham's son, Isaac, Abraham would become a great nation, that he would have more descendants than the stars that illuminate the heavens more than the sand that line the seashore. That was God's promise to Abraham. Well into Isaac's 20s or 30s, most historians believe, is when this story unfolds. God then asks of Abraham to lay down the life of his son, to lay down the continuation of his legacy on an altar on the hills of Moriah. Could you imagine The one thing that you prayed for all of your life, you've finally been given it. The promise that you prayed for has materialized. You have a son and now. The very child that you love with all of your heart and soul, now God asks him to be given as a sacrifice on the hills of Moriah. That's the context of where we pick up today. Now you might be hearing Genesis 22 and you're like, well, wait a second. I thought this was a worship series. What does this have to do with worship? And I'm so glad you asked because it has everything to do with worship. Do you realize that the first time the word worship is mentioned in the Bible, it is right here in Genesis 22 when Abraham says, come, the boy and I will go to the hill of Moriah and we will worship there. The first time it's used. In scripture, anytime you see something introduced for the first time, it has great significance. Now, the truth is, in 2023, when we think about worship, you and I think about Chris Tomlin, Hillsong, and Maverick City. All right, we think about songs and instrumentation. That's what comes to our mind when we hear the word worship. But I want to remind you this morning that before worship was praise, before it was a song or a hymnal, it was first sacrifice. Worship before it was anything else was giving your very best to a God that you love even more. Look at your neighbor, help me preach and tell him worship is sacrifice. You know, the truth is in our Western civilization and in the Church of America, Many of us have become consumers and we think that worship and we think that church is about us. We kind of treat it like another restaurant or the flavor of the week and how does it benefit me and serve me? For example, some people, if they come in and the worship isn't their style, they're not, they're not having it. They're like, what kind of church is this? I, I like hymnals, you know, the, good, the, the real stuff. That's what I like. 
And then, <laughs> thank you, my brother, I love you. And then, and then the, the young folk, if they go to a traditional church, they're like, what? They're singing out of a book? I'm not doing this. Worship, I'm gonna hurt your feelings. Worship is not about you and it never has been. And if you haven't noticed, we're not singing to you. We're singing to him. It doesn't matter your preference. It doesn't matter your style or opinion. He is still worthy of our praise, regardless of what's going on around us. And even I, if I'm being honest, have been guilty of saying, well, I just really wasn't connecting with worship today. You know, I really wasn't feeling it today. Well, please get over yourself and myself because worship is not about how you feel. It's not about your emotions. We don't come to receive from worship. We come to pour out our praise and our adoration on the one who gave us life. Do you realize worship is the part of the service that brings him great glory? He doesn't need to sit through my sermon. He wrote the book. The only part of our service that really is for him exclusively is worship. So I want to challenge you. It is not about you. And the next time you don't like the song or you don't like the music or somebody's off key, which would never happen at this church, okay? Because our team is fire. Can we give it up for our team? They do a great job, right? We're spoiled up in here. But the next time the worship doesn't suit you, I challenge you, praise him anyway. Is he not worthy? I want to show you that the greatest worship you will ever bring to God will be when it's a sacrifice to worship him. The sweetest and most beautiful praise and worship that will ever flow from your life will come in the seasons of your life where you do not feel like worshiping, when you do not feel like praising him, when you do not feel anything, that is when worship is the sweetest. Anybody can worship God when life is great. When you got commas in your bank account, when your stomach is full, when you're at Chick-fil-A, wherever you are. I have to slide Chick-fil-A in at least once a sermon. Just make sure you're out there. When life is good, anybody could worship him. But the true worshipers worship him in spirit and in truth. And even in the difficult days, even in the valleys, even when you don't feel it, when worship is a sacrifice, that is when it is the most beautiful to pour upon him. Let's be a people who grow spiritually into maturity that our worship is not based on our circumstances. We don't praise him when things are good and complain when things are bad. May the default of our life be worship and adoration towards him. And I wanna challenge you, in your deepest, darkest valley, praise him from right there. Worship him right there. Because that is a worship that changes your life. And by the way, let me just say this to you. All right? Worship is like prayer. It may not change your circumstance, but it will always change you. Look at your neighbor and say, it'll change you. You can't worship and be bitter at the same time. You can't worship and be critical and negative at the same time. James said a fountain brings forth either sweet or bitter water. So when I choose to praise, when I could complain, it does something inside of me. It repositions my perspective. It realigns my heart and worship changes me. 
It gives me a peace that surpasses all understanding. And life is sweeter when worship is your default. May we be a people that graduate from this circumstantial stuff to where we worship him even when it's costly, even when it's sacrificial, even when we do not feel anything. And by the way, there are going to be times in your life where you do not feel God at all. He's still there. Worship him anyway. We walk not by sight, but by faith. We worship him in spirit and in truth. And his word says he he is Emmanuel, God with us always, whether we feel him or do not. He is with us. Worship is sacrifice. It's giving up the things we love for the God that we love even more. I want you to imagine this just for a minute, if you can, put yourself in the shoes of of Abraham. God asks of you to give your son, your prized possession, the thing that means the most to you out of anything in life. Now that I'm a dad, times two, I got two little homies under two, I can see this in a way that I could never imagine before. Because as a father, I would die for them in an instant. And I can assure you that Abraham would have put himself on the altar 10 times over rather than to offer his son. Abraham did not give God what was convenient. Abraham did not give God what was left over. Abraham gave God his very best, his very first, the most significant thing in his life. Abraham did not hold it back from God. I want to challenge you today that worship is so much more than reading lyrics off of a screen. It's so much more than just mundanely going through the routines and traditions of men. Worship must connect to your heart where we love him more than anything else in this life and nothing else will do but praising and worshiping his name. And may he be your most prized possession. May he be the greatest and sweetest thing in your life. And may we be willing to give up the things we love for a God we love even more. Jesus said, I'll know those who love me by those who obey me and keep my commandments. Everybody in America says, oh, well, God loves me. God loves me. You're right. God loves you. But the question is, do you love him back? There is no greater love Abraham could have displayed than offering up the life of his son. No greater love than this. Examples of sacrificial love today in 2023 is your obedience to God. Often obeying God will create sacrifice. Obedience to God, often he will ask you to do things that are inconvenient, things that are inopportune that you don't want to do. Another example of sacrificial worship is resisting temptation. Do you realize that every time you resist temptation, you should do so as an act of worship? It's not that I just, I'm not going to sin today. I'm not going to give into this temptation because I want to be a better person. That motivation won't last very long. The motivation of us overcoming temptation ought to be, God, I love you more than I love this temporary fleeting pleasure. God, I would rather give up the thing I love and enjoy for a God that I love even more. You are God most high in my life. Even resisting temptation can be an act of sacrificial worship. 
Giving of our time, giving of our money and our resources can be an act of worship. May we give God our very best, not what is convenient and left over. I want you to look back at Genesis 22 for a second because a lot of critics of your faith point to this story and say that God is barbaric. It's like hedonism that he would ask Abraham to give his own son. But church, it is vitally important that you understand this. God did not want Abraham's son. God wanted Abraham's heart. I'm trying to preach to you today. God does not want the finite things you give him. He wants your heart. He wants to be first and priority in your life. The scripture says that he is the Lord, your God, and you should have no other gods before him. You know, in America today, we do not see ourselves as idolaters. We, of course, just mindlessly say, well, yeah, God is first place. God's number one. But I want to challenge you today. Is he really? Is he really God most high in your life? There's an Old Testament name for God, and it is El Elyon, which means God most high. He's seated in the highest heaven and all things are under him. But I wonder, is he God most high in your life? Or is there a relationship, a woman, a guy? Is there something in your life that preoccupies you that you truly deep down love more than you love God? If so, I want to invite you this morning to lay it at the altar like Abraham laid his son on the altar to say, God, I'll give up the thing I love for the God I love even more. I'm not saying you have to break up or drop kick them or unfriend them. I'm just saying that in your heart, you got to say, Lord, if they come or, or they go, I still am okay and I'm content with you because you are the first place in my life. You are my prize. You are my reward. And if I have you, I have more than enough. I wonder, is God first in your life? Parents, like even your children, I know you're, they're cute and you love them, but you should still love God more than you love your children. Amen. Married folk, hopefully you love your husband. Hopefully you love your wife. Hope, hope you do, but you should love the Lord even more. And here's, here's a real quick test, how we can determine what you really love most. Scripture says that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. What's your treasure? Two things, your time and your money. Because your time is actually more valuable than your money. But where is your time? Is it with the Lord? Or is it in selfish ambition, career moves, fantasizing about a relationship? What, where is your time and where are your resources? I've said this to you before, but if you look at my bank statement, it would tell you that my heart is with Chick-fil-A. It's kind of funny, kind of true. All right, Lord, help me. Where is your treasure today? Because if your treasure is anything but him, you're an idolater. And you need to take that thing like Abraham and lay it spiritually on the altar before God and say, I love you more than I love this. I love you more than the addiction. I love you more than the affair. I love you more than life itself. God, you are most high in my life. Do you know, and I don't do this often, but the original word used in Genesis 22 that is in Hebrew for worship is this, shakal. 
All right, I don't get into etymology as much as I should, but shakal, that's the Hebrew word that was used for worship. Do you know what it actually means? Beyond sacrifice, that word means to bow low, to lie on one's face. As Abraham and Isaac ascended the hill of Moriah, they bowed low before God Almighty. He lied on his face before him to physically display that my flesh must bow low before God most high. My will must bow low before you. Everything and anything that contests with you must bow at the name of Jesus. By the way, when we bring these idols to the altar, you know, when we think about the altar at church, we think about like the front row, like right up here. And we think it's like, oh, so beautiful. And like, you know, like feel God's presence at the altar. You know what an altar really is? It's a place where things go to die. So when we ask you to bring your greed, your lust, your pride, your selfish ambition, the things that you idolize, when we invite you to bring it to the altar, we're inviting you to kill it before God Almighty. Another feel-good sermon at Vision Church. You're welcome. <laughs> welcome to 2023. We picked up right where we left off. <laughs> May everything in our lives bow low before him. You know that in worship, scripture also challenges us to check our heart. Help me pray. I know you hate doing this, but I don't care. Look at your neighbor and say, check your heart. <laughs> People send me emails. Why do you make me talk to my neighbor? <laughs> We're supposed to love them, so talking to them is a start. I want you to watch this. This is, this is powerful. Matthew chapter five, verse 23. <clears throat> Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Church, this, that verse right there is powerful. You know what God is saying right here? He's saying, I don't want your lip service. I don't want your empty praise. I don't want you to sing beautiful, eloquent lyrics off a screen when you have bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart towards other people. Before you worship me, you better repent before the people you've wronged. Before you worship me, you need to say I'm sorry to the people that you have offended. Before you come to the altar and praise me, you need to forgive the person who did you wrong. Scripture tells us how can you love a God who you have not seen if you cannot love the people that you do see. If there is hatred, bigotry, bitterness, unforgiveness in your heart towards another person, your worship falls to the ground. So the altar call today, the response to today's sermon for some of you means that you need to pick up the phone and apologize to somebody and then bring your gift to the altar. Maybe somebody needs to go across the aisle in the church and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Maybe that's your call to action today. But may we live a life of worship. May we not just talk about it, may we live it. But God Almighty says, I don't want your lip service. I don't want to empty praise. Before you come to me, make things right with your brothers and your sisters. Apologize, repent. And listen, you, I feel you right now. Somebody here is like, well, preacher, you don't know what they did to me. 
I'm never forgiving them. All right, well, hold on. First of all, forgiveness does not enable or say it's okay what you did to me. Forgiveness is you moving forward. And by the way, scripture says that we've all been forgiven a great debt. So those who have received mercy should then extend mercy. Those who have been forgiven much should also forgive much. In the manner in which you judge, you shall be judged. Now, I don't know about you, but I need to forgive a lot of people. I need to give a lot of mercy because if I want to receive it, I should give it. See, and you thought I was going to talk about Hillsong. God is not after Isaac. He's not after the finite things you offer him. He's after your heart. He wants to be most high in your life. That means everything else has to bow low. I'm going back to verse one. Don't get nervous. I'm just going back to verse one. Scripture says that God tested Abraham. Now, this is going to mess with your theology. People don't like this, but it's the Bible. Scripture says that God tested Abraham. This whole scenario of God asking for Isaac, it was not because God wanted Isaac. It was God wanted to test Abraham. Now, don't get it twisted. God does not tempt us. God does not tempt us, but he does test us. And hear me, God does not test us so that he will see what's really inside of us. No, no. He's the preeminent transcendent creator of heaven and earth. He sees the end from the beginning. He already knows what's inside of your heart. He knows you better than you know you. The reason for the test is so that you can see you for who you really are. The reason for the test in life is so that you can see what's really inside of your heart. Because the truth is, our hearts are desperately wicked. They're deceitful above all things. And our own estimation of our own life is we're pretty good. We're doing all right. Because we can all point to somebody who sins worse than we do. Who worships less than we do. And so we justify ourselves and pacify and justify our own actions. But the truth is when life's tests and storms come, it comes to reveal what's really within you. The test is not so God can figure you out. He already knows you, but he wants you to know you. And here's good news. If you're not passing the test right now, when difficulty comes your way, you don't praise. When difficulty comes your way, you don't worship. That's okay. See you for who you are right now. And it's better that you see that now and repent and rely on him now than on the other side of eternity. And I'll be honest with you, in the test, I sometimes fail it. Even as a pastor, I fail it a good bit, actually. Some of you are like, I'm never coming back. Okay. <laughs> so a few weeks ago, our water pipes burst at Vision Church. We're trying to have a Christmas Eve service. No water in the building. Y'all remember that? Okay, some of you are looking at me like you're confused. But anyway, that happened. And I'll be honest with you, my default wasn't, oh, glory to God. I love you. Praise. <laughs> that wasn't me. I got in the flesh. I was like, come on, Lord, what in the world is going on? He's stupid. But... <laughs> and I know you're more holy and spiritual than I am. I know. I know. But I want to challenge you and along with myself that may the default of our life 
be worship. May the default of our life be praise. And in every season and in every circumstance, let us rejoice and trust in him. Worship is not a service. It's a lifestyle. Worship does not start and stop when the band strikes the first chord. And when I start preaching, that's not the end of worship. Worship is the way you live your life. Look back at Genesis 22 and you'll see this. Worship did not start in this story when Abraham and Isaac ascended to Moriah on the altar. No, no. Worship started long before they ever got to the hills of Moriah. In fact, the moment God spoke the word, Abraham was in a posture of worship. It was a three-day journey up hills and valleys, through difficult terrain with a donkey and a team of people. It was hard work for him to cut his way through the path. But Abraham, through it all, worshiped God every step of the way. And the scripture is showing you that worship is not a moment. It's a way of living. Worship is a lifestyle. I don't start to worship when the band plays the first song on Sunday morning. No, I've been worshiping him. I've been praising him all week long. This is where I come to celebrate him corporately. One one person agrees with me. That's all right. That means I'm right up in your driveway. You're welcome. (laughs) Worship. Look at this. First Thessalonians 516. Watch this. This is incredible. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I want you to look at that. First Thessalonians says, in everything rejoice and pray without ceasing and give thanks always. Sounds like a worship service to me. Scripture is telling you that worship is not a moment, it's a way of life. Have you ever read that verse and said, well, how do I pray or worship without ceasing? Has anybody ever wondered that? Okay, nobody? Okay, well, just pretend you wondered that. Because some people, they're like, well, how do I pray without ceasing? Like, how do I worship God without ceasing? Like, do I have to squint my eyes and pray in the King James? No, that would be bad for you driving in rush hour in Charlotte. So, It doesn't literally mean that you need to be, um, you know, doing your hands like this and squinting your eyes and praying. No, no. What the scripture literally means is that you should live with the awareness of God always. That he should be on the forefront of your mind always. When you're at the Mexican restaurant after church and you taste the chips and salsa, you should say, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He should be on the forefront of your mind, not an afterthought. When you're driving through the city and you see the, sky, the sunset, you see golden hour, you should say, praise the living God, the creator of heaven and earth. May we live with the awareness of God always. That is a lifestyle of worship. That is praying without ceasing. That should be the posture of our life. And I assure you, life will be sweeter and trouble will be easier if worship is the default of your life. And while I'm here, I'm just going to mess with you a little bit more. 
Do you realize that your work should also be your worship? You're like, no, 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 you don't pay. You don't understand my job is, is trash. No, I'm talking to you. <laughs> your work is your worship. You see, again, I'm trying to get you to shift your focus that worship is not what I do for 70 minutes on Sunday mornings at Vision Church. No, worship is the way you think. It's the posture of your life and at your job. Scripture says that you should commit the works of your hands to the Lord, meaning that even if your boss is crazy, you're not working for him, you're working for the Lord your God. That means you should be the best employee at that place. You should be the hardest working, most faithful, dependable, on time person. You want God to be on time, but you ain't on time. It's getting quiet. You're like, somebody's like, I'm never coming back to this church. <laughs> well, hey, if you never come back, at least you heard the truth while you were here. As a Christian, you should be marked. They should say, what is going on with that person? That they're giving their very best under these circumstances. What's up with that person that they have a peace that doesn't make sense? What's up with that person that's positive even when the rest of us are in chaos? Your life should be marked. You should be different. Your perspective should be worship. It's not, I'm gonna serve me Monday through Friday and I'm gonna serve God on the Sunday. No, worship is the way I live my life. And as I work, I work unto the Lord and I give my very best because I represent the kingdom of earth of heaven on earth right now I'm preaching to you this is this is the word of God it really is I'm not gonna preach much longer but I want you to remember that it said in the three-day journey that there were hills and valleys that there were mountains it reminded me of first kings where the Arameans tried to fight Israel on the mountaintops and they got defeated. And the Arameans drew the conclusion, well, the reason we lost against Israel is because their God is the God of the mountain. So next year we're gonna come back and fight them in the valley and surely we'll win. Because the Arameans in their mind, gods were it was polytheism and gods were localized, the God of the sun, the God of the water, all these things. And so when they went back to fight Israel the next year in the valley, guess what happened? They got whipped again. And then the enemies of Israel, the Aramaeans said this of your God, he is the God of the mountain and he is the God of the valley. The reason that's applicable today is because we worship him and we trust him, not just on the mountaintops of life, but even in the valleys. And as a Christian, your life is not going to be straight into the right, healthy, wealthy, blessed, and just doing great. No, life is going to come with struggles. There's going to be ups and downs. Don't just praise him on the mountain. Praise him in the valley. Worship is not a moment. It's a lifestyle. It's who we are. It's what we do. Not going to preach much longer. Genesis chapter 22, the scripture tells us this. I want to read this to you. Verse 15, then the angel, this is after Abraham lifted the dagger over his son 
and the Lord provided a ram in the bush. Listen to this response. Genesis twenty two fifteen. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you and I will multiply and multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies and in your seed all the nations of earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The takeaway from right here is that you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. I started this sermon by telling you that worship is sacrifice. Worship should cost you something. Worship is not convenient. Worship is not giving God our leftovers. Worship is not giving God lip service when things are good. Worship should cost us something. But no matter what you sacrifice for Him, whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's pride, whether it's forgoing temptation, anything you sacrifice for Him will be returned to you multiplied. Watch this. I'm not a prosperity preacher, but watch this. Abraham gave one son. The Lord gave back to him 10,000 times 10,000 sons. Abraham gave God what was finite. God restored to him what was infinite. That's the kind of God we serve. You come in here and you praise him genuinely when it's a hard day, in a dark season, in a low valley in your life. I dare you to give God your very best when you have literally nothing left to give. And I promise you, in return, he will multiply peace and joy and his spirit and presence. You lift the finite, he returns the infinite. You cannot outgive God. You give your job your best. You commit the works of your hand to the Lord. You watch him return to you what is multiplied. God is faithful. And by the way, the world tells you that the way to be satisfied is to accumulate and hoard up as much as you can get. But Jesus tells us that those who cling to their life, they'll surely lose it. But anyone who gives up their life for me, they'll find it. The fullness of life is in sacrifice, serving, sacrificing relationally. The best marriages are two people who sacrifice for one another. The best ministries are those who sacrifice for the sake of others. You watch in giving yourself away. God will give back to you more than you could ever give and you'll find satisfaction and contentment in doing so. The world promises one thing, but it comes up empty. The key to fulfillment is service and sacrifice. I'm gonna close with this thought. You already know that I cannot preach Genesis 22 without showing you the gospel of Jesus Christ in plain sight. I wanna remind you that the Bible may seem like a complex book, but actually it's simple. 
And from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's about one simple message over and over and over again. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but find life everlasting. You see it in the pages of the Old Testament all the way through to the New, and this is no different. You see, Genesis 22 is more than about Abraham who would offer his son. The reason God asked him to do it Yes, God wanted his heart, but really God wanted to show you and I a picture of what he, our heavenly father, would ultimately do for us in giving the life of his own son. The life of Isaac and Abraham, it's a picture of Jesus Christ right before our eyes. Number one, both Isaac and Jesus were loved by their father. Number two, both Isaac and Jesus freely offered themselves. They willingly went to the altar. Jesus willingly went to the cross. Historians believe that Isaac was roughly 30 years old at the time of Genesis 22, and Abraham was about 100. I don't know about you, but he could have outrun him. Yet Isaac freely offers himself submits to the will of the Father to give his own life on that altar that day. It was a picture of what would happen at Calvary where Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, he could have, he could have spoken a legion of angels would have rescued him. The life of Jesus Christ was not taken from him by the Roman soldiers that day. No, his life was freely given, offered as a ransom for many. Nobody took his life, he gave it. Isaac carried the wood for his own sacrifice up that hill to that altar. Remember the cross? Jesus carried his own cross down the Via Dolorosa. In other words, both shouldered the cross. Genesis 22 is a picture of what Christ would do for us, the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. And by the way, the hills of Moriah are the hills outside the walls of Jerusalem which is Calvary, Golgotha. It's very possible that Abraham built that altar in the very place that the Romans erected the cross where Christ hung between heaven and earth to die for you and I. And most importantly, on the third day, Scripture says in Genesis 22, on the third day, Isaac was spared from death. And on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from that tomb, defeating death, hell, and the grave. He overcame and triumphed over death on the third day. It's a picture of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see it? Can we give God praise for His Word? Can we really praise Him? His Word is divine. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at visionchurch.com or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. 
Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially. It's because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you'd like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless.